0: Nair is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.
2: No mai whakatau, mai he kōnei pūrangi tēnei, pāna ki te ao Māori me te ao hurihuri. A nei a Kapia Hayden, this is a podcast about being Māori in the modern world. Mānoa tia a Mahuru Māori. 50 years ago this month, on September 14th, 1972, a petition containing 30,000 signatures was handed to Parliament asking that Te Reo Māori be taught in schools in Aotearoa. The petition was in the name of Mrs H.M. Jackson and it asked, in English and Te Reo, we the undersigned do humbly pray that courses in Māori language and aspects of Māori culture be offered in all those schools with large Māori roles, and that these same courses be offered as a gift to the Pākehā from the Māori and all other New Zealand schools as a positive effort to promote a more meaningful concept of integration. The Language Petition, or Te Piti Reo Māori, emerged from the efforts of two university-based groups, Ngā Tamatoa and Tāmaki and the Te Reo Māori Society in Te Whanganui Tara, Mrs H.M. Jackson was, of course, Hannah Jackson, also known as Hanna Tehemara, who was a co-founder of Auckland's Ngā Tamatoa, along with her husband, activist and academic Sid Jackson. Now, Hannah had observed in her life that while Māori were expected to become facsimiles of Pākehā, speak English well and adopt English values and attitudes, they were then told at every turn that they were not welcome because they were Māori. She herself had lost her deal as a result of being punished for speaking it at her Catholic school in Waitara, in Taranaki. There's a wonderful documentary on NZ on screen. It's a 1972 survey of New Zealand, I suppose, that features an interview with Sid and Hana, where she expresses this paradox of integration, of how New Zealanders are fed this line about how excellent their race relations are. And then she's forced to speak the Queen's English. Um, And then she's shut out of jobs and rental homes for being Māori and how that then spurred her to turn back to Māori culture and values and not only that, but to fight for them. Uh, Hana had been forced to drop out of school age 12 to support her whānau and then worked at the phone exchange while her husband earned his bachelor's and master's in political science. Now, while Sid was the academic, who along with his brother Moana Jackson are remembered as intellectual giants, She was also very well known for being sharp and articulate, well organised and completely fearless. Uh, In return for her bravery, Hanna faced a lot of backlash in the media, a lot of scrutiny as a wahine. But she did sow the seeds along with her cohorts for what became Māori Language Day, September 14th, later expanded to Te Wiki o Te Reo and now claimed by many as a whole month, Mahuru Māori, or in mine and Miriana's case, the whole bloody year, uh, and of course from that Kai where she planted her seed alongside so many others grew kohanga reo, Kura Ahu Matsua, and new generations of real Maori speakers who were no longer punished or ashamed to be called as such. Hana passed away too young in nineteen ninety-nine and Sid in 2007. Uh, but we are incredibly honored to be joined later in the show by their daughter, Ramari Jackson Panyora, to remember her parents and the extraordinary community that she grew up in. So stay with us. Whakapiri mai, mai. mai ano aha te nā te mea. He Mahuru Māori tēnei. it's Māori Language Month, I am joined by the hosts and the hostess, Miriana Johnson and Te Kurote Marama Dews. Tēnā kōroa. Kia ora. Tēnā koe, hoia hua. Ai, tēnā
3: tātai uh, Mahuru Māori.
2: Aye, aye. Do we even care anymore that there's a Māori Language Month considering we're just out here devoting our lives to it anyway?
3: I'm I'm pretty you know yeah I'm I'm stoked it's just warming up I think I'm just warming oh. up I see a lot of posts coming online and I just hope that people are like yourselves reflecting that in their daily lives and speaking Maori
1: yeah I'm here for mahuru Maori I'm less hikaka for te wiki o te reo Maori I think that's becoming a little bit redundant and I think what we should be pushing for is te, katoa te or te marama a mahuru. Yeah. Te te reo Māori. Mm. O Ai, I Māori, love the
2: idea of uh, trying to challenge myself for the whole month rather than just seven days. It also means that you get time outside of that one week where it sort of gets used as a branding exercise mm. by businesses, mm. which is always nice.
1: Yeah, th- I feel like that's what you see a lot of, eh, in Te or o te reo Māori, like it is a lot of businesses and mainstream organisations that are sort of pushing hard in that week. That's why I feel like, yeah. oh, tu Māori is more Māori.
2: <laughs> I continue to be rangirua about that, day eh? Because I do want all tangata Aotearoa to speak te reo Māori. I do. I know that a lot of my friends disagree with that. I know a lot of Māori disagree with that. And then, as I experienced last week, I went to just like the millionth Arts event with non brown people at it and heard (laughs) my millionth breathy tinakoto, tinakoto. And I was like, you know what? Actually, gatekeeping is mean. Close the path. (laughs) (laughs) I just go back and forth on that. It feels like once a week. At what
3: point do we say, well, you don't actually understand the words within your me? So you've gone beyond the gesture. Yeah. And you've now gone to your third paragraph and. And none of us here really want want you to continue, but we we, <laughs> yeah. w- we appreciated the first few bit. So, you know, it's I think everyone's different as well. Everyone's yeah. gonna have a different opinion on it.
2: I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do too. So tell me what your response is when you get asked this. Someone has to uh, make a speech or open an event, someone who's not a deal speaker, and they come to you and say, I'd like to say a few words into deal at the
1: beginning of my speech. What advice do you give back to them, Mediana? Usually just keep it or pōtō and I'll just practice. To me, the importance is not how much you say, but what uh, feeling you put behind it and the conviction you have when you say those words. So if you stand up and just say and your pronunciation is on and you mean that mihi, you are really sending a aroha to all those gathered and you're trying to bring them together, then I'm like "Tokyo." So I I always and if you know if you want to go sticks this is for people who like have pretty much no deal if they want to go a step further mahiatu kiakoto and don't don't try and do a a big long kōrero, unless you yeah total tō kōrero, or to koro a cordito if you don't really know what you're saying um you're going to lose people <laughs> and mm. you're not bringing the white behind the woods yeah. you know and that's the menui you know that and pronunciation. Aye. I'm always a stickler for pronunciation. I know Timurti Karetu is ill first, like he prefers bad pronunciation. Um he was saying this in a Tell with Moana episode. He's talking about oh she asked him what's worse, bad pronunciation or bad grammar? And he said, Oh bad grammar's worse. I'm the opposite. I'm like I'm like, Oh, if your real sounds nice to my ears, how yeah, interesting for <laughs> What do you think is better or worse? Bad pronunciation, bad grammar. I
3: I think pronunciation comes over time. I I would like to, in an ideal world, I would like people to spend the time to learn to pronounce the words as they are learning them. But in reality, I think uh, it takes a number of years, if not decades, to really get your ears in tune Mm -hmm. with how native speakers use the language. And then going further into your own iwi dialect. So, yeah, I mean, I wish, like, When I hear people on the news, and it's been happening for a long time, but they're getting better and better. I've got friends coming back from overseas who are like, oh, man, there used to be no real Maori when I left, and now it's everywhere. And I'm like, yep, well. We've been going pretty hard, so <laughs> no hooky <Yeah>. hukumai. <laughs> yeah. But if people are wanting to do a me, and if there's someone who d- does a lot of engagement, like that public engagement, then I would hope that they recognise the need for them to apply themselves in mm. a learning environment.
1: Aye. Yeah, probably not enough to just go to your weekly or monthly business deal lesson, A eh? Like, you need to be studying that ear wiki, yeah. ea wiki. yeah. But more and more, um, going back to your um, – all before, Leonie, I'm less um, keen on investing my energy and helping people who uh, don't have real because my uh, energy is best invested in whakapakari tōku reo, me reo tōku whānau, kapu, hōki. And yeah. I'll leave that to other people who uh other pakia maybe, other tauiwi or even just other Del Māori speakers who have, you know, reached their matatau or they're at a different taumata where they're able to Maybe give that energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Actually I saw an interview that you did once, Nikuru, where <laughs> I think you were sort of talking about um controversy around the Lord album, maybe, and people criticizing he and um Tatsimotti. And you were like, Until you're a teacher, stay the student. And I I really I really internalized that when you said that and that, because I was like, people come to you no matter how much zeal you have and ask you for it. And I, I just remember you saying that and I was like, you know what, yeah, I'm just going to stay a student. I actually don't owe being a teacher of something that I'm not even matatou in to anybody.
3: <laughs> I, I think we get in a real dangerous uh, area when we all start taking on the responsibility of teaching Ai. Māori and non-Māori Ai. about mm. Reo when we're not, when we haven't, one, educated ourselves in te rio, mm. and, two, haven't learned how to teach te Reo because oh, those no. are two – you know, those are two very different Aye. things.
2: Does that mean I have to start texting you questions about the <laughs> <laughs> How do I say this? Is this the right word?
3: <laughs> Don't ask me. Yeah, nah. no. Ask Kim ask <laughs> <Kay>
2: Gillich. <laughs> One thing I did want to talk about is um, helping our kaifakarongo, our listeners out there, um, no matter what level they're at, with um, some suggestions for things that they can do during Mahiru Māori um, to help flex those muscles. Hei um, tewira, for instance, um, my tāne, he is not a reo speaker. He's done a um, couple of years of night classes. So his ritual for Mahiru Māori was he has to, every morning, he has to say something to me in te reo Māori. Mm. Um no matter how short, although it can't be as short as Carl, which is what he's trying to get away <laughs> with a couple of times this week. did <laughs> 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 <Kya tui> it <pato. laughs> yeah Carl not gonna cut it um and then I've had um I've heard others um who are trying to um stay in the deal in meal times or between the hours of seven mm. and eight in the morning or something like that um have you guys got anything like that that you wanna? put out there for our listeners.
3: He pai era, era tikanga, and no te rangi nei, i whakatauai e mawa ko Nico, kia noho rāhui uh, ki te reo Māori, kia au ki te reo Māori, ia mawa e hikoiana i te ata, mm. uh, hikoiana i tātahi. So just this morning Nico and I decided to make our, every morning we walk our dog, well every morning she walks the dog, sometimes I join her, uh, <laughs> out at the beach, and I said oh well let 's make these. We did it through lockdown for a period. We made those times uh real maori only times mm. because with all the distractions and and non maori work that we engage in it 's quite easy to not be into Real Maori you know as much as I would like to speak maori all day there 's no reason why we can 't, but um yeah, it depends what the topic is so that 's a time that we 've just set aside for this month, and then we 'll see how that goes oh, but yeah. i think that's I recommend that to anyone yeah at home. Before the kids go to school, if you can or for half an hour when you pick them up, or if depending on what stage of your learning journey that you're mm. on I would the goal is to be uh twenty
1: four seven right Oh, mm oh te mm. and just want to like totoku you accord it or that's it's so a way way when you do a lot of stuff in tedo Engerehi and I find there a lot like i was I was actually just writing a message to my cousin on Facebook the other day, but I was kyoku uh. Hua, And my mate was speaking to me in te reo, And he had to say it like It was like real mama His korido, But he'd say it like three times Because I was My brain was like In this message in te Pakia. So yeah That is a, a, a mea wauwa Mōku hōki e kare Is just the whakawhiti my te reo Ki te reo Hōki mai anō But yeah Pāna ki oh, Hea yeah my hiatoku Kōrero aki aki Mō ngā I always reckon Um Learning some tohu tohu is cool because it's like a really you can just put them you know bring them into your corded or gently you know um wa Kia kiaatu pato, you know to your tamariki when they're doing something naughty right. <Hoi, hoi,
2: laughs> Mea tia name just means literally anything you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I uh, like kati. Kati, we heard that a lot growing up. Kati. Kati <laughs> which means basically cut it out. Kati tēra.
1: Yeah, and I think that's always a nice it's a nice easy way if you don't have a lot of real, um, to just like bring it into your everyday life. And you know, yeah, they're fun to say as well. Kati. I love saying that. <laughs>
3: um atu. that's the that's the more sincere way of saying Cease. <laughs> so it's atu, Two words, but they kind of just flow the mutu into the atu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't we? That's good.
2: You know you're in oh, trouble
3: hot. when you hear that one.
2: <laughs> See, I, whenever I go to say "kati," my brain goes "kati, kati, kati, kati." kati. <laughs> so, yeah. Because yeah. they mean two different things, so I just don't use it. So I feel like whakamputuatu is probably easier for my brain to grasp.
3: It's a bit stronger. It's if someone's doing something that they really should not be doing. Ka whae. Or saying something that's inappropriate.
1: <laughs> also, you <know>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm going to use it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It is ka eh? Like tohu to? Mm-hmm. Kei Kati te a? Ka yeah, ka- ka ka Oh, rawi. What I've been really enjoying as well, because kaori oku hoa whare, you know, tōku taina, um, tōku Ankara. <laughs> kaori rāwe tai te Māori. Um so I do a lot of study at home trying to like keep the real alive. Um and I've gotten really handy into uh reading Heiti Te Kupu um by Hona Black. Oh, Kupu fakarite ata mm. I love and now I'm just that guy who's just always using Kupu Fakarite, <laughs> just testing them out. <laughs> I'm like, is this the right huru oh, I'm just gonna put a tara get a get a gauge over whether like that fits with the hurupake. Oh, give us some examples. Oh, oh I'll give you a funny one. The one that comes to mind straight away. So we all know hangi taro nera. <laughs> <laughs> so I found <laughs> well kei roto te, uh, te poka poka," the equivalent for Tani, um ure Parati, which is basically just
3: <laughs> media going going right there. The
2: <laughs> hangi taro, as I'm sure most of you know, but maybe not is hangi pants. It's a very schoolyard expression for Someone who's a bit hungus for mahi-mahi.
1: Um, romantic affections,
2: shall we say.
3: Who's <laughs> got a lot of game.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good away I know, after it. I said, like, oh, so many beautiful kupu fakarita, and that was the one that, <laughs> <laughs> that's that really went into mind. Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. We are our ancestors' dreams. <laughs> you know, mahi-mahi me mea te whaka kaha te iwi. I really like um, he <laughs> tohi-taka, which... Um, is a great one for me because it, just, it means like a late riser, like someone who sleeps. Oh, it. ka pai. It's a type of dandelion that mm. only flowers around lunchtime. It's oh, good. Yeah, tohitaka I love it. I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, you 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 got the you're hitting the the jackpot there, ehua, because kupu fakarite. All the language experts would say that that's where the gold lies in terms of you know if you can incorporate those into o or yara yara, and that's what makes the real interesting and, and you can start to play with it and, you know, have fun with your friends that way. Because while the reo tohu is great and growing up, that's probably the primary language used between parents and children, uh, especially if the parents are second language learners, you know, parents at home, they're just always bossing their kids around. But one of the things I try and remember, uh, try and remind parents, especially young parents or new young Māori couples, is that when your kids get to a certain age you need to you need to try and move away even when they're really young, you need to really develop a a language bond with them that's not just tohu. Mm, and mm. so using kubu fagarite it can be cheeky, it can be affectionate, it can be educational, so yeah that's a really good way to expand and stay oh. interested in te reo. Mm.
1: oh yeah, do you have any favorites toyaku here here more kupu fagarite.
3: <laughs> I do. But I'm actually writing a book now.
2: <laughs> Actual?
3: Oh, yeah, I, I am, sort of. But, yeah, anyway, I'll talk about that one maybe in another potty. But um, one of my one of my favourites off the top of my head is um, He Honu Manawarahi, which is a, a honu, which is a turtle with a big heart. He Honu Manawarahi. And it's someone who's, you know, compassionate, understanding.
2: Oh, my God, oh, I love that.
3: Turtle. Yeah. I mean, honu are really big within Te Moana Nui Akiwa, right. and there's probably, not, uh, there's probably not enough kōrero, in my opinion, about it within Te Ao Māori, because we don't really have them here.
2: No, we don't really talk about sea turtles that much, do we? Why is that? They don't really live in Aotearoa. It's
3: too cold. It's too cold. <laughs> <down here.
2: laughs> oh, kawhai.
3: But they found them carved on one of the oldest waka uh, that was oh, unearthed in Te Ponamu. So, you know, it's, it's definitely was a big part, and... And kiang, I like that That's another cool thing about te reo Is you can unearth some whakapapa By finding these sayings and...
2: I um, used a lot in a school assignment recently We had to um, compose a waiata And so I did a, um, a waiata mihi kinga ringa And so I really enjoyed discovering All of these kupu whakarite That you can use for ringawira And there's so many And also other words for your wharekai and stuff But it was things like Ringa ringa or wai wai or rongo, you know the arms and legs of of rongo. Who you know, yai e ki um, etahi rongo is your atua of all the fare on the marae. So your whare Kai and your whare nui. So I really like the idea of being like the arms and legs of rongo when you're you know doing that mahi for Manaki people. Oh, beautiful.
1: Hi, Kupu Fakarite haukia. Hi. Eh? Oh, we?
2: we use a lot in class to talk about, I mean, obviously there's heaps, but for to talk about people's um, language prowess, the kākā tarahai, the korokoro tūi, a lot of beautiful mm. Kupu Whakarite um, connected to manu, which it's always nice mm. to just be reminded of that um, that connection that our Rio has with the the manu takitaki o Aotearoa. Like, I, I mm. love just how deeply intertwined
3: Aotearoa is with the natural world. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Aotearoa came from, i te reo Māori te i So Aotearoa came from this environment. It's what makes it unique to Aotearoa and that's what makes it indigenous. Mm. The connection between language and the environment or the disconnect is one of the major reasons why we're experiencing the climate crisis because non-indigenous languages don't have the same philosophical, spiritual connection to the natural environment. And that's one of the main things I try and drive home as well. And when we're having real one and things like that is uh, it's okay to use all these metaphors, but, do we really can we identify the tōtara and the Kahikatea Aye. and the Tui? Do mm. we know what that manu sounds like when we get up and say, te Tangiatema tui 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 tu tuya? Do we know what they sound like and then could we identify them? So while we are reclaiming our reel, we're also, you know, on that journey, some of us to reconnect to the taya.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really makes you real like well, not realize, but really drives home that point, hey, that we need to protect our Native Rākau, native Mānu, because without them, like you say, Tukuru, we can't really mahi to that deal. Mm. They are they are also a kaitiaki of the deal, right? Because we've drawn our deal from them. Yeah, atahu oh, to kari. Right. Aye.
2: Now I did want in this chat because our guest coming up on the show, uh, we're going to be talking to her about her extraordinary parents, the extraordinary community. Um, where she was raised amongst um, real activism and revitalization. But you can't really have that conversation um, without also um, putting Te Kuru Otemarama Jews in the hot seat <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, so, to our listeners, already many of you will know how special Te kuru is. He's a Rokura of Te Panikiritanga <laughs> and author of a master's thesis about intergenerational language. Transmission, just an overachiever in all areas. Um, but he is, of course, also a which is a very, very famous surname in Real Māori revitalisation. Uh, so, Ehoa, on our subject of these pioneering generations, I really would like to talk to you about what has been passed down to you and your family about that time, the time of the petition. And then, of course, the ensuing, the marches and the establishment of the Language Commission and all that sort of thing. So your koro, <laughs> known to everyone as koro dues, mm. um was a Vic uni lecturer at the time of the petition. Is that right?
3: Yeah.
2: Um, your auntie Kathy was also part of the Te Reo Māori Society who co-delivered the petition. So what, yeah, what does your family talk to you about that time?
3: Well, they were both my... Dad and Auntie Kathy were both students at Vic Uni at the time and students of Maikoro. So he kind of oversaw that Ropu. I don't actually, you know, you would have to be there, I think, to understand the dynamics mm. of the, the student group and the lecturer. But he was definitely instrumental in inspiring a group of, uh, a generational group of people who went through there. And Dad will talk about all the mahi that went on behind the scenes, like the mahi... Ringawera, or getting the Kai ready at the Marae on the day. All of these other stories. So every year I'll get a I'll get a different angle, which is cool, paints a wider picture. Because none of it's really been documented or uh, properly published. Yeah. Um, But he does talk about going door to door, getting signatures, because back then you couldn't do an online petition. Yeah.
2: And so someone had to be out there getting thirty thousand signatures. How many people did that take? Do you know?
3: Oh, this will be part of the book that I write now. (laughs) I I don't know. It's. uh, I think it took all of them. I'm not sure, you know, between the, the, the rangatahi of Whanganui Atara and Ngati Toa, I know they were involved and Nātamatua and Te Reo Māori Society. I'm not sure how, you know, how the mahi was dispersed, mm. but I can only, assume, uh, I can only imagine that those signatures were gathered over time, 30,000 signatures. So a lot of work went into it. Um, one of the main stories that dad always told us growing up was, if you look at the photo when they're walking up to Pali, in the front of the ropu leading them on is a kroa, and his name was Te Owenuku Rene from Ngati Toa. And his widow, which the Sharples has reiterated, and these people who have uh, been involved in language revitalization over the years, every now and then this widow will pop up, and it's actually the name of the Te Reo Māori Society 50 year anniversary this year is Te Wero a Te O Wenukurene. Uh, some people call him Korojo. So his wero to those who were gathered there on the day was kataya tūa Te Mai yahatia So when I pass on and move to the other realm, and I am before the Atua, uh, what Will I say, if the atua asks me, what have you done with this taonga, this gift that I've given to you, being te reo, being the gift. If you think about it like that, then there's a lot of responsibility mm. that comes from it, and it shows heightened level of thinking and how they were treating it. Uh, it was a very significant time, and it led to some big changes, mainly within education and allowed kura kaupapa to be established in the later years.
2: Did you ever get the sense from your koro's generation or your parents' generation that it was a burden for them or was it something that was sort of just very proudly worn and carried at all times?
3: No, they just they just went out and did it. And then they set up kura kaupapa and still doing it. My auntie is still the principal at the of Maori Ruamata, which we all were fortunate to attend. And that was set up in the late well, in the late eighties, around the same time mm. um, as the first Hwani Waititi in Tamaki Makaurau. So it's just a yeah, responsibility. And when you have that sort of purpose of creating not only Maori language communities, but it's just essentially creating a or regenerating a whole community and seeing them flourish. Now we're seeing the benefits of these kids who have gone through, I'm talking about the ones who have come through after me, Mm. who are excelling in hakenikina and sports and in academia and all these areas because they've gone through this whole educational kopapa. but it's really a community.
1: Aye. And they know who the hell they are in the middle of that community. Yeah. Mm. How then have you responded to being part of this legacy? Like, what, what do you feel like your role is? You've obviously naturally probably been handed this co You know, my koro, to fire, yeah. probably didn't have a choice.:
3: <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I always from a young age, I always knew that my path was tied to reo. I've tried my hand at other things, but it always comes back to underlying message and overarching goal. Is the longevity of Te Reo? I think I've always been acutely aware of the the dire need for us to breathe life into Te Reo and to help mm. it survive from a very very young age because of these stories and you know being around my auntie and around my koro and my, my dad and my mum who's non Māori she played a role she was a member of Te Reo Māori Society along with other members other non Māori members like the late Anaru Rob. There was a group of people who were just so committed to. Seeing Terrell flourish, and I'm just really grateful uh, for them. And it's yeah, it is a responsibility for me to ensure that uh, it develops, and right now, not only develops um, further, but in a way that the integrity is maintained. That's one of my concerns for the next fifty years. Looking forward, you know what's what's the goal for us? What's uh, those are the conversations happening now. Uh,
2: you got that long term vision. Well, we
3: we have to. And we have to put some things in place to ensure that it grows.
2: Ka oh.
1: mm. I mean we wouldn't be doing do properly eh, Leonie? Absolutely,
2: and this is exactly how I feel about mm. um, this episode About the reasons for mahuru Māori Like every single one of these people that we're talking about in and, and mahi into and so is the reason that I'm at Rumaki reo, that you're at Rumaki reo, that my nieces and nephews Aye. are at Kohanga reo. Like the amazing forest that grows from those seeds, um, you know, that those rangatira sowed for us is, it's really astounding. And I hope that they all know wherever they are that they've done that for us. I really do hope that they know that.
3: Yeah, the teachers are the MVPs really. Aye. The Aye. teachers. Can't thank the teachers enough.
2: Aye. And we need more of them. Uh, thank you, Ihoa. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that with us oh, yeah. Tau toko And um, we're looking forward to the book
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, damn, I better have <laughs> nailed it Because <laughs> wasn't ready
2: After this, uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, Ramari Jackson Panyoda To have a chat about um, the legacy of her parents and her community Hei <laughs> Mai ano, we're so excited to be joined by Ramari Jackson Panyora. He nati Kahungunu ngāti porau me ngāti awa. Uh, Ramari is a management consultant and the daughter of Hannah Tehimara and Sir Jackson. She's also the founder of I Am Hannah. More about which later. no my Kiora. So we really wanted to hark back to where. Um, Māori Language Day, Māori Language Week and now Māori Language Month actually started um, and of course your folks were right there at the beginning your mum's name was right there on the petition that was handed over to Parliament in uh, 1972 Can you tell me a little bit about your memories of being um a kid in that extraordinary environment of activists, of Ngā Tamatoa? Yeah, so in
4: 1972 I was less than one years old <laughs> Mm. um but yeah i have grown i did grow up my brother and i in a house full of activism lots of um incredible minds uh coming together to you know try and make a real difference and i think this commemoration is really about honoring the difference that they have made
2: um, you described um in a really awesome um piece that you put together for itangata to recently you described the um the kitchen table in your home in Avondale being this um hub of exciting activity. What was
4: sort of like an an average session at the kitchen table there I mean, it's hard to describe there's so much going on I mean which picanera really um, mm-hmm. you know there was so many issues facing maori. At the time, uh, 83 A Street was the sort of meeting hub for a lot of uh, those hui to strategize, plan. I th- I can't really pick one thing because it was just the norm. Mm, yeah. You know, I think one memory I do have which really stands out is I remember helping tape nappies to the arms and legs of my whanau as they were going off to the Springbok tour. And I was just a little kid, just sort of helping them all get ready, but there was a lot of people getting ready at the house and really putting protective gear around them because they knew that they were going to be harmed as a result of what they were standing for. So, yeah, there was a lot. It's That was just a normal day at eighty three Street. You were putting armour on them, ne? Well, they were nappies for softness. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, uh, phone books, magazines, you know, whatever could to uh, protect them. Um, And you also
2: wrote about that resulting in you having a sort of quite a different perspective to other kids at primary school. For instance, being told off for telling kids that the treaty was a fraud.
4: (laughs) Uh, I mean, you... You mimic what you hear at home. Yeah, but yes, <laughs> it was different. <laughs> uh, I definitely felt different. Yeah, but I mean, that was just my life. That was the life of my brother and I, and as a and my younger siblings over time.
2: Just before we get to this um, incredible project that you have um, started, can you tell me a little bit about? your mother and her
4: upbringing and what some of her motivations for for fighting for te reo were? You know, she, like, you know, the majority of people have had, had a lot of childhood trauma. She lost her language, she lost her identity and eventually mm. she lost her ability to be educated and A large proportion of her motivations was to prevent that from ever happening to somebody else. Mm. Um, That's those foundations of what you stand on when they're all pulled out from underneath you, leaves you very vulnerable. And yeah, she just—that was one of her biggest motivations. She just didn't want people to go through what she went through, the trauma Mm. that she went through, Um, and she. She was one of those people who really did the work um, to help heal herself. She believed that, you know, we are all responsible, regardless of what happens to us, to do the work to heal ourselves. Aye. Part of what, well, a large proportion of what she did was, you know, part of that healing process, making sure it never happened to anyone else.
2: And you, obviously, you have two very gifted parents and um, your father, Sid, is, is remembered as sort of like an intellectual giant alongside your uncle Moana. What is it that made you really want to base this project
4: around your mum? Yeah. Actually, I've been asked this a lot. I Yes, dad is well recognised. Uh, there is a lot of material about dad, Mm. Um, like a lot of other men of the movement. Aye. But there's a real deficit of the stories of the women of the movement. And that is a really important part of what I'm trying to do here is to start mm. to trigger more stories about Indigenous women. Uh, Mum has a, a very interesting story. Uh, her journey was not easy this project is not only about the destination, it's about her journey to get there. And hopefully in some ways it might connect with people who, you know, are going through things and feel need some inspiration from others that, you know, you can climb out of hardship and turn things into something quite magical Mm. and make a difference in the world. So that's really what we wanted to do. But I am, definitely been asked a lot about why not dad i'll do dad next <laughs> yeah but uh i needed to start with mum yeah. uh, she was the big catalyst for a lot of stuff and mm. uh, there's just nothing really about her if you google her there's nothing really around yeah so yeah that's why um and as you would have read i'm just I would just really like to see more recognition of women car we as women we need sheroes. we need people to look up to that look like us, and there 's just not enough of that so mm. and along
2: with um obviously the the barbs that they sort of suffered from from the media. Um, your mum also came under a special scrutiny because she was a wahine Did she mm. sort of get that from from ao
4: Pākehia and South Māori as well? Yes, I think that saying your whānau can be harder on you than a stranger um, definitely applied, mm. definitely. And, you know, because where Māori were at at that time, you know, people were just working with what they knew and then there was this incredible movement of people saying, "Hey, look at this differently." And it took a while for people to get on board, but you know, eventually they did. But uh, yeah, they uh, mum, mum and dad, and the movement they they experienced it from both. Aye. Oh, yeah. Um, Are there other wahine Māori from
2: the movement that um, you think deserve more recognition than
4: they got for their contribution? I believe they all need recognition. All their stories are incredible. Where they are now, they're all in key roles, um, you know, all around Aotearoa. Mm. Yeah, there's not, just I couldn't pick out one or two. Really, we're just sparking. You know, interest uh, for people to look more into um, this group of incredible people. Out
2: yeah, and um, we had a um, a little chat earlier with um, our co-host uh, Te Kuru, He's a Jew, so he's the um, the Moko of Koro Jews, the nephew of Kathy Jews, son of Fai Jews, um, who were all part of the Te Reo Maori Society, the the Wellington side um, of the petition um and he was sort of talking about growing up with uh that responsibility not not in a way that is a burden but growing up with a responsibility to um carry on the work of his parents and his grandparents generations um is that part of how you feel right now that now that you've sort of put in this wonderful project to
4: honor your mother into the world Hmm. I, I don't it was never asked of me hmm. uh, my parents were very clear that we had to define our own path but um, we learnt a lot we hmm. learnt an incredible amount when you spend that much time with incredible minds visionaries, change makers you know you absorb the their, their methodologies and hmm. and how they go about things and You know, both my brother and I are in different industries where we apply those things. I've, you know, some of the things that we learnt um, is to be really really comfortable with not being liked. When you have parents that are not liked at all, uh, you get really comfortable with that. That's an amazing skill. Yeah, uh, apparently so. Uh, But Mm. we're just very comfortable with it. It's okay, you know. Nobody has to like everybody. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've, you know, I work in the strategic space. You know, my brother help, uh, works in the helping space. We do what we do with all the knowledge and experience and learning that we have. But I am, my brother and I are kind of more on the shy end, mm-hmm. but uh, we both grew up very observational. Yeah. Um, so that's one of our strengths as well. You may not hear a lot from us, but we watch, <laughs> we observe. Yeah. And when we're ready to talk, we'll speak. <laughs> That's awesome, Elwha. But we don't fear things. We just don't have fear. We we mm. were never taught fear, so we don't have it.
2: Um, now, take me through some of the programme um, for I Am Hana. So it's a series of events
4: happening around Taranaki, is that right? Aye. I- So uh, the I Am Hana project is really about us sparking interest, as I said, in finding out more about who mum was and who Ngā Tamatoa was and hopefully create interest in people wanting to learn more about another part of our history in Aotearoa. Mm. We've got a number of things. We've got, of course, um, Mr G. Uh, doing an incredible uh, mural on the Puke Adeki wall oh, uh, and that's quite a site of significance and we've uh, we've had the ca- uh, the town clock lit up in mum's colors we've got an exhibition starting on the 8th of September through to the 14th of September which is a whole Series of photos and paintings and private collection elements from Ngata Matur, and of course, John Miller's um, photo collection. Oh, rawe. Uh We've got uh, New Plymouth District Council have put on in their library this really cool sort of machine. I don't know what the technical word is, but you can pick it up and you can listen to Mum's voice. And they've got a whole bunch of storytelling going on in there. Uh, there's I am Hana flags down the main road. Um, oh, with, um, stunning. Yeah, it's we've just got. I think we've got about sixteen different elements. We've got a lot of um, public events, but we also have some private events because we have the majority of Ngāti Mātua uh, arriving into Taranaki uh, next week. And so we've got a series of private events for them. So one of the things that we did when we, before we started with Mr. G, is we um, we went to Mum's Urupa, we went to Moruroa Patu Marai, and then we went up in a helicopter up the maunga, uh, because that was the maunga is a very important part of who Mum was, mm. Mm. and. We uh, arrived, we landed near Parihaka and we went to Parihaka. And that was sort of the beginning of all of it as we just wanted to come into it, right? What I love about this project is not just who we're doing it for and why we're doing it, but how we've done it. Mm. We've had such an incredible um, collaboration across uh Iwi, hapū, uh, local council, central government, small business, big business and uh, community and whānau. And that has been, and the people that we've had at our collaboration table have just been extraordinary people. So we set out our kaupapa right at the beginning is to honour her, is to do this her way, which Mm. is to make sure that it's supportive, um, it, we all grow as a consequence of it, and after, and when we're done, Taranaki is better off as a result of us being here. So, making sure that we're upskilling people, so we've got you know locals being upskilled on health and safety to support Mister G. We've got you know Mister G going out to schools to talk to them. We've got all these different people doing things they never ever thought they would do. They're doing them now, and that's really you know part of. How we wanted to do stuff.
2: That is just such a fabulous sounding program. I, and I'm sure you have had lots of people tell us and that you know this deep down inside, but I, I'm sure your mum is so incredibly proud of what you have achieved in her name. I'm going to take this opportunity to encourage everyone listening, um, if you're in or around or near Taranaki, um, to go and experience some of these um, exciting opportunities because it's kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime
4: thing, hey? But although the legacy lives on. Hopefully it's not once-in-a-lifetime. We want to see more women recognised <laughs> kapai, kapai.
2: Thank you so much for sharing um, your family with us, um, and I hope the rest of the month runs really smoothly for you.
4: Well, maybe you'll be able to make it down. Aye, kapai. I'll <laughs> ask for some time off, ne. <laughs> oh, and don't forget to follow um, Mr. G and the I Am Hanna, um social media to keep up to date on the. Different elements going on around
2: the uh, Taranaki region, including the mural. Oh, kapai! Good plug there, ehoa. Mai ki a a a a a Find uh, my tato tā payahua, follow us on Instagram, Net, Dal Maori Podcast, Mairunga, Apple Podcast, Ne Spotify. Uh, and join us in two weeks time for our full fingers crossed Te Reo Maori episode featuring special guests and Mediana and I crapping our pants a little bit. Uh, Nō te ara, ko Māori.
0: is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It was hosted and researched by Leonie Hayden with Te Kuru Jews and Mediana Johnson. Nair was produced by Te Butler, with senior production from Jane Yi and project management from Mark Kelleher. Kia ora e te, te he Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.